And we are live. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Oh, Vicky, 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 Vicky. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Quick Brew. I'm Katie. And I'm a Paulie Vicky. Oh, Vicky, who is moonlighting as Dot Cotton currently. <laughs> we have a Paulie Vicky today, but bless her, she has pulled out all the stops and she is here, lem sip in hand. Uh, but if you haven't joined us today, welcome. Thank you for coming along to another one of our podcasts. This is Quick Brews. Quick Brews is a little sister of Strong Tea. And our Strong Tea podcast was born out of a love of talking about things that matter, things which are considered taboo, things which are possibly controversial, and things that people need to learn more about. Our aim is, with every single one of these episodes, to help educate, support. And if we can just help one person from doing these episodes, then that's what matters. Uh, if you haven't joined us before, one of our long-standing traditions is what are we drinking today? So, Vicky, what's in your cup? Lemsip. <laughs> okay, well, let's expand <laughs> on that. Is it a Max and is it a lemon or is it a, a blackcurrant? No, it's the Max. I'm not really a fan of the blackcurrant ones. Oh, um, but yeah, just Lemsip Max. Yeah, it's a, it's just a cold, and I keep having to remind myself that. But I am the worst patient, honestly. You can, I've broken bones, fractured bones, but throw me a cold, and no, I'm I'm out. It's, I'm quite surprised that you're not wearing your full on, you know, your blanket with the hood. Um, yeah, no, that's know. downstairs. Yeah, the dog's on that because the dog is also poorly. So. yeah we both deserve trooper medals today i I think think we'll get you one in the post yeah oh yeah well i'll find i'll find one i'll make one out my blue peter kit oh what are you drinking please tell me it's a blue peter mug it's not a blue peter mug Mm. um we've gone today (laughs) i've gone for because the topic we're talking about is um something that's gonna be a little bit difficult i think at times um i've gone for an old friend that's warm and comforting i've gone for yorkshire gold oh yeah so good I haven't traveled for ages I kind of went off it a bit not off it but I was just like you know like I've got so many herbal teas now that Mm -hmm. I've been like oh I'll try this one I'll try this one I was like you know what now damn good cuppa today yeah it's an oldie but a goodie we love you Yorkshire tea we do please send us free tea (laughs) or sponsor us (laughs) other teas are available they're not as good as Yorkshire gold that's very true that's very true (laughs) So as Katie said, um, today's topic is a difficult one. It could be difficult to listen to. Um, There will be some things that some listeners may relate to. But just to give it a um, caveat and trigger warnings, we are going to be talking about baby loss and grief um, and mental health issues as well. I'm lucky enough to work with Katie and I find her inspiring. Every single time we record one of these, every time we just have a chat, I find her one of the most inspiring people that I have ever come across in my life. Not only because of the things that she's gone through, but because of the way that she has dealt with it and dealt with it so humbly. I don't think she realizes how strong she is. And that's where her platform, Strong and Brave, is just a testament to just the person that she is. Today, Katie is going to open up to us about pregnancy after loss I'll leave Katie to tell us about the details, about how that happened and her story. But this episode, we're going to dedicate to Poppy, because this 
wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the massive impact that little girl made in such a short space of time. So Katie, can you tell us a little bit about your story for those who don't know? Well, I'm going to try now, but uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for... Uh... <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, um, dedicating it to Poppy seems really fitting. Um, for those of you that don't know my story, um, in 2021, I gave birth to my daughter Poppy and um, there were complications during labour and she died when she was just 12 hours old. Um, the grief that came with that, um, I can't even begin to describe because I know every grief journey is different even people who grieve and grieve for different people in their lives again it's very different because of the relationships people hold and my experience may resonate with some people or it might not um uh, we went on our grief journey starting in April 2021 and I honestly felt like my life was over I don't think anything could have prepared me even if I'd had some sort of premonition that it was coming anything like that it knocked the wind right out of me and I there were days when I just didn't want to wake up in the mornings and for a long time I felt like that would be easier I I wasn't I wasn't suicidal but I certainly felt like it would just be easier for things not to go on anymore. Um, but I was on the journey with Neil and he was incredible. He was a complete rock during that time. Um, despite the fact that he was also feeling an immense amount of pain and going through his own grief, he was absolute steadfast and completely solid by my side. Anything I needed him for, any support, he was just incredible. And quite soon after Poppy died, um, we ended up having a conversation. And I think probably when we when we had this conversation, we were both still in shock. Because it was, I mean, it was days after she died. And Neil said, do you think you'd want to have more children? And I said, yeah, definitely. I don't think I could go on if I never had the thought of that I would have a child again and Neil said that he was so glad that I'd said that because he thought the whole thing might have just scared me off of it forever and and I understand for some people it does but we knew that that's what we wanted and we sort of dived into I, I dived into therapy very very quickly and I'd sort of expressed that I wanted to have another child and I was, you know, really keen on doing this because I felt it would help my grief and I felt that it would help my, give me hope. Not that I thought it would ever, and I was really worried at the time because I was like, if we have another baby, people are going to think I've had another baby just to, just to replace Poppy. And that was absolutely never what I was trying to do. I just needed hope from the moment when she was in my arms and I had that weight of her holding her and feeling the warmth of her when she died I was like I can't not have this again I can't not feel a baby in my arms again and that 
I can only describe that that was the thing that kept me going. I knew I needed that. Um, And because I have a PCOS, we didn't think it was going to be very straightforward for me to conceive necessarily very quickly. Um, Add on to that the amount, the incredible amount of stress that you experience during grief. Um, And I later found out I was suffering with PTSD. And so when you consider grief plus stress plus anxiety plus PTSD and you're trying to conceive for something that you want more than anything else in the world, chances are it's not going to happen very quickly because there is so much going on mentally that it's definitely going to impact your body physically. So when we ended up finding out we were pregnant, it was three months after we'd been trying and we were actually in Greece at the time for Neil's 40th birthday. And I had no thought that I might be pregnant at all. And I'd just taken a pregnancy test just in case, because I did every month, just did one just, just to see. And when it came back positive, the I can still remember it now. I can still remember seeing pregnant on the on the pregnancy test stick and being like, no. Uh Okay, so I went out of the bathroom and I washed my hands and I came back in again. I was like, yep. And uh, I went into the uh, back into the hotel room and I said to Neil, Neil turned around and looked at me and he went, you're not. And I was like, (laughs) and we were just in complete shock. And then we spent the rest of the rest of our holiday, that entire week in Greece, sitting there going. What the hell do we do now? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is terrifying. And so began our pregnancy after loss journey which was the next part so how I mean after the loss of Poppy and you were explaining about the PTSD the PCOS that just utter desperation for that that baby warmth that you know that that maternal you you need to have that again it just sounds just all-consuming and then obviously finding out that you're pregnant I mean that's two massive different sets of emotions just colliding right there I mean what on earth were you thinking and feeling and it almost sounds like I was telling you off there what on earth were you thinking like not in that way what were you thinking and feeling it because that's two massive things to try and get your head around not only grief but oh my gosh this is the start of a new chapter what the hell yeah and it was it was very much like that they talk about um when when mums lose their babies or their children they talk about um empty empty arm syndrome um or aching arm syndrome which is a literal psychological syndrome which means that you your arms and you you your body physically aches for that holding of a child and all of a sudden this tiny glimmer of hope and I call it a tiny glimmer of hope because you know this was this we found out when we were in Greece and it was six months to the day uh no it wasn't six months to the day it was six months a six month anniversary of Poppy's death later that week and it was also baby loss awareness week it was Neil's 40th birthday so there was a lot of emotions flying around anyway and we would just the only the only way I can describe it is that we were absolutely terrified, completely frightened, because 
I'd had a completely what what the midwife described as a textbook pregnancy with Poppy. And it was um it was pretty much without fault every step of the way. And I'd got to 12 weeks and we got in for the scan and everything was great. And we got to 20 weeks and everything was great. And I was naive enough to think that at 20 weeks you were home and dry pretty much because, you know, they, they talk about that being a real barrier, um, you know, the, the, the big milestones. And I, I pretty much sailed through it and I was so naive. And I think in some ways I missed that. I really, I really missed that with when I was pregnant with Freddie, because you realize when you lose a child, so many people reach out to you and say, I know it's not the same, but I had a miscarriage at 30 weeks, or I know it's not the same, but this happened to me, or no, it's not the same, but this, you know, and you realize that statistic of one in four babies being lost to either miscarriage, mm. stillbirth, or neonatal death is so much closer to home than you actually know, because mm. people don't, you know, you don't meet someone and they go, oh yeah, by the way, I had a miscarriage. You know, it's not something that people will open up about mm. necessarily unless they find themselves in an arena where that sort of thing is um, okay to talk about. And when someone else experiences a loss, no matter at what stage, I think people reach out because they like to say, I mm. feel your loss. I feel your loss as a parent. And I completely lost my train of thought. But knowing that, you know, there were so many people that had experienced all these different things. And I um, I met two incredible women um, from the Tommy's Grief Group. And they had both lost their daughters around a very similar time to Poppy. And um, one um, was a miscarriage and then a problem later in, during birth with twins and the other one uh, was a stillbirth and I was like even when you get to that so-called finish line it's not home and dry it ne it's never home and dry even when you bring that child home there are fears of cot death and when that child's a little bit older oh my god what if something happens whilst that you're out of the house or what if they fall and hit their head you know you're never away from danger but as soon as you've experienced loss your heightened sense of alertness and awareness to loss is so acute that sometimes it's completely paralyzing and that was where we were at and being away in Greece we were sort of sat there and I was like um okay, right, what can we do? What can I do that's proactive? Who can I speak mm. to that, you know, I need to speak to? So I was like, right, speak to a nutritionist, speak to, you know, a midwife, speak to um, a consultant, speak to this, speak to that. Try and get the ball rolling so that you're sort of proactively looking at the next step, always looking that next step ahead because the fear was so intense that on some days it felt completely debilitating. Like I was like, I can't, I'm, there's no way I'm going to be able to get to nine months. No way, absolutely no way. So it was all consuming completely. I was going to ask about how that was for the nine months because it just, I mean, I know because I, I was with you for that journey, but yeah. the exhaustion of that, you know, trying hard not to, but comparing the journeys 
and the what ifs and you know just almost like that cliff edge that you're waiting to go over because I don't know things are going too well something's going to happen was that something that that played as well yeah and you know I don't I think I don't think I ever thanked you enough at the time but I mean pretty much we spoke almost daily and those chats you know the way they pushed me through because they helped me to sort of compartmentalize certain things and you know allow me to sort of step away from the fear for just a second because I was sharing it and even though at the end of the day you went home to your house and I went home to mine for just a minute I was able to say I'm terrified about this I can't go about my daily life because I'm terrified about this and I threw myself into um strong tea because we just started strong tea hadn't we mm-hmm. and um also strong and brave and I just tried to focus as much as I could of my energy into that um much the telling off of you at times wasn't it where you were just like Uh you need to rest and I was like Uh you need to focus (laughs) (laughs) but it was that desire to be able to think about anything other than Mm. oh my god what if something happens and because we had tests quite early on um you can have um tests when you're pregnant um I know on the NHS they do it for sort of downs and patel syndrome and edwards syndrome um quite early on at about 10 10 12 weeks and we had these at 10 and a half weeks with our consultant and they phoned us and they told us that there was an extremely low chance that there was any issues and they asked us if we wanted to know if we were having a boy or a girl and i was just like oh my god yeah tell me and we found out at that point we were having a boy and that day neil and i decided that he would be called freddie and he was always Freddie then. That was it. And I think the fear then of losing, because he he was a person, he was, mm. you know, and I think, you know, the closer you get as well, you know, he was an extremely active baby. Like Poppy was like pretty chilled. She'd move like wriggle around a couple of times a day. And then she'd settle down and she'd be quite, quite sleepy. Freddie was on the move all the time, which, oh my God, almost one year later, I can tell you is still the case. (laughs) Um, And he was constantly bouncing around in my tummy. And actually, exhausting as it was, it was a real reassurance to have that movement and to have, because... I always get sick during my pregnancies. So the first 12 to 14 weeks, uh, sorry, yeah, tw- up to the first 12 to 14 weeks, I'm normally really quite sick. Um, and then there's a couple of weeks gap. And then norm- on both my pregnancies, week 16, almost on the nose, I felt movement. So there's been a couple of weeks where you like you don't feel anything. And mm-hmm. during my pregnancy with Poppy, I was just like, I don't don't know when movement's going to happen, so it's fine, you know. And mm. I was just, I remember someone saying to me, oh, you know, well, when the sickness stops and before you feel movement, you know, that might be quite a worrying time for you because you've got no reassuring signs. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I hadn't even thought about that. And it mm. was, it was a terrifying time because I was like, oh, I can't feel anything. I'm sure everything's okay. I wish I could feel sick again, just so at least I know. Mm. Um, and then the movement started and that was thankfully an extremely reassuring uh sign but Mm. my god it was exhausting (laughs) obviously being pregnant with freddie and 
remembering your pregnancy with Poppy, was there a degree of grief when you were pregnant with Freddie because of that reminder of Poppy? Because I can't even imagine how that must have felt where you have that comparison, mm. but you didn't have Poppy. I think the thing that I really struggled with was that for me, pregnancy didn't equal coming home with a child. Mm. And so for a long time, I never allowed myself to think it would happen. And mm. I felt it, it threw up so many emotions that I wasn't expecting. Like I felt guilt, a lot of guilt. And there was guilt about being pregnant again six months after and thinking, oh my God, you know, that sort of, like I said, that outward perception about thinking people would judge me mm. thinking I was just trying to replace Poppy when I absolutely wasn't um I thought you know I felt guilt deep down anyway because I was just like and I, this is going to sound silly if people haven't lost someone and they don't understand what this means but I thought what if Poppy thinks I'm trying to replace her mm. and that for mm. me was a really hard concept because I was just like I and I I, mm. I tried I tried talking to her every day whilst I was pregnant with Freddie because I was just like I'm not trying to replace you I'm not trying to replace you and that was a I had to really work on that with my therapist because this mm. all-consuming guilt and new waves of grief um were again entangled with ang so much anxiety that some days just felt like I don't never mind going out the house it was like I just want to sleep all day because at least when I'm asleep it's kind of a safe place you're not thinking about things you know you just almost like want to hide under your duvet in a cocoon of just like oh I just want to be in that nice warm place where I'm not thinking about the grief the guilt the stress the anxiety the panic the worry everything it's just like just I just need a little bit of respite from that just for just a minute um because it was just it was a lot just feels so fragile as well you you called Freddie your your glimmer of hope but having all that fear and anxiety it, it sounds like you are you know it just sounds all so fragile um, I'm not saying that you are fragile. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the situation oh, well. just yeah, it, it just sounds like that glimmer of hope is, you know, you've got to clasp onto that because that's not that's all you have, but it must have felt that that's that's all you've got to help you with all the negative, excuse the language, but negative shit you had going on. Yeah. And the, you know, the enormous amount of grief loss PTSD all of that this small tiny glimmer of hope was all you had to hold on to it was it was exactly like that and I'd like Neil and I had had conversations and I said I if anything happens to him I don't think I can do it again and I was mm -hmm. quite convinced that if something had happened to Freddie I, I couldn't I couldn't have gone on because the pain of losing Poppy was so bad that to fall in love with another child and have all that hope and then something mm -hmm. happen was just terrifying. And I was like, I can't do it again. I can't. And I don't want to, if something happens to Freddie, I, I don't want to do it again. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so that's quite a heavy thought to carry around with you as well, because you're sort of thinking, oh, my God, I can't I you know, you you're not preempting it, but you're you're panicking about something which hasn't happened. And, you know, people would say, you know, you can't you know, you can't control anything. You know, it it really used to piss me off because people would say, oh, you'll be fine. Like, you don't know that, you know, everyone said with Mm. with Poppy, everything would be fine, even though there was no reason to say it, Mm. everything will be fine. And it wasn't. And no one, you know, you talk about that fragility of life. No one can predict what Mm. happens with, I mean, childbirth, it, 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 it amazes me how many people have children with the amount of risk involved and things that can go wrong and the trauma that brings with it I'm amazed at Mm. at, you know and of course when you have a child and nothing goes wrong it's the most incredible thing in the world it is the love that you feel for that child the way that they are so precious and that everything about them is absolutely incredible is just the most insanely amazing thing in the world Mm. But when you've experienced that loss and you've seen both sides of it, you just think, how oh my God, how how are people having babies all the time? How how are people brave enough to do that? And you do it because it is incredible when it goes when it goes right. Can I take you back just a little bit and talk? You mentioned it before about, you know, there was a part of you that was worried about what people would think. Mm. Um and you mentioned it there about people telling you everything's gonna be okay. How much influence did other people have in your pregnancy journey with Freddie with their thoughts, what they were saying? Was it a help? Was it a hindrance? How much impact did it have on you? Because it sounds like it was quite stressful almost thinking, what are people going to feel about this, about me getting pregnant? What are they going to feel about where I am with this? It sounds like there was a lot of thinking about others other than yourself. I made the conscious decision not to tell many people about my pregnancy because I mean, it's partly because of that reason, but also my fear of something happening and going wrong was so profound that I didn't want loads of people to know mm. and then have them all feeling sorry for me again and knowing that I'd been through that again and being, you know, I was already, I already, I had this massive hang up after Poppy died about being known as the girl whose baby died. You know, Mm. I was like, people are always going to look at me and be like, oh, that's the girl whose baby died. And I was like, I don't want to be that girl. I don't want to be defined by what happened to me. And it was one of the reasons that I set up Strong and Brave and then latterly a perfect poppy, because I was like, I don't I want to use what happened to me to help other people, Mm. but I don't want it to define me. And I didn't want to open myself up to more. I don't know. I just, I didn't want to put myself under the microscope. And because during my pregnancy with Poppy at like 20 weeks or whatever it was, I had announced my um, pregnancy on Facebook and Instagram, as many people do. Um, Mm. And that's great. You know, I I love that people share their birth announcements and everything. And I'd done that quite happily. And then I posted a lot about my sort of journey after that. Not heaps. I know like some people post bump pictures every week and things like that. I hadn't done that, but it was, you know, lots of 
lots of uh, various different bits along the way. Um, And I kept myself pretty much completely off Facebook and social media um, in terms of talking about what I was doing in my my life. Um, And I didn't tell anyone until Freddie was born because the, you know, the majority of people that I did tell were very, very supportive. But I think much like with the grief, and you and I have talked about this a lot, sometimes Mm. people say the wrong things. Their intentions Mm. are good, but they don't know what to say. And so they end up saying the wrong thing. Mm. And I think that, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, a couple of people said to me, how are you not absolutely terrified? And I was like, well, I am. I am every second of every day. I'm petrified. Mm. Um, you know, and that whole, you'll be fine or you can't control it. Well, I know. Thanks for that. That's why I'm so freaked out because I have no control. Yeah. Um, so it was difficult. Um, and you know, naturally around us, people had their own anxieties, you know, people we were close to that were worried for us. So it was trying to manage their sort of anxieties and my own. Mm. And, you know, and Neil again was incredible because we, so one thing I did with both my pregnancies, I spent an awful lot of time in the bath. I love a hot bath when I'm pregnant. (laughs) And it was my evening. We've got one of these giant freestanding bathtubs that we can both fit into. And every evening we would have a bath together and we would sit and he'll be like, right, let me have it. What's on your mind? (laughs) And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. Oh my God, I'm worried about this. And he'd be like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, sure. Right. And we'd just talk it all out. And sometimes he'd sort of say, you just got to ignore them. You just got to brush it off. And sometimes he'd say, right, well, let's try and you know, not spend as much time with that person or, you know, let's try and do this. And it was all about sharing the load and trying to put me in a less vulnerable position because I did, like you say, I already had enough on my plate, Mm. but I was all consumed by everything that was going on around me and any any sort of anxiety or any sort of Mm. like bit of panic or bit of feeling from anyone that didn't sit quite right with me or used to send my brain into a spin so it was it was a long nine months but um yeah communication was key I think you said about kind of diving in to work with strong tea and mm. you know the, the flipping empire that you've built and we've built and you know and it kept you focused because that you know that's who you are Katie you're just naturally buzzing and just naturally I'm doing this and doing that and you've got fingers in pies you're constantly busy even when you say you're not busy you're constantly busy (laughs) honestly this woman on a I'm not doing much day ends up doing more than I do on a busy day um so obviously that helped but what else helped you during those nine months before Freddie was born I think um finding support from others um there's some good pregnancy after loss groups and also um peanut the app for mums like tinder for mums if you've not been on there um you're you're able to put on there um you know if you've lost a child or you know what if you if it's your rainbow baby and things like that um and so I met a couple of people through that and it was sometimes it was just to talk to they weren't local but they flagged up because we had similar you know like 
yes, I've lost a child. Yes, this is my rainbow baby. So it match you with people that you could talk to. And also the two girls that I mentioned previously in the Tommy's group um, were both pregnant at the same time as me. One was slightly further ahead and one was slightly behind, but we were all pregnant during the same time. And so that helped a great deal because you are not only experiencing pregnancy, but you're experiencing pregnancy on a level that you've never experienced before. And it can be quite lonely because you think, well, what I'm feeling is this, is this right? Is this normal? You know, and I'm freaking out about this. Is that normal? that I'm freaking out about that. Should I ring someone? Should I, mm. you know, or is this just me being paranoid? And it was so incredibly helpful to have them on hand mm. and, you know, having spoken to them both about it at great lengths, everything that we went through was so, um, was so similar in terms of our fears and everything that we felt along the way, you know, the sort of fear of the move, the movements, I think was a big thing because it was the reason I ended up going into hospital and having Freddie early anyway. Um, but that sort of reassurance of the movements, but then if the movements were slightly different to normal, it was like, oh my God, is, is this, you know, is this normal? Is this, it, you know, what if something's gone wrong? You know, and the fear that came with that. And I got diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which of course was another massive thing to deal with, which I left me with a huge feeling of guilt, even though the doctors were like, some people just get it and some people don't. It's nothing to do with what you've eaten. Because I'm mm. like, man, I love cake. And that's <laughs> I love it. Um, and they were like, no, some people just get it and some people don't. But I read up on what gestational diabetes is and what the risks are. And, you know, things such as, you know, it can um, have an impact on how the placenta performs. And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh my God, oh my God, if I'm not careful enough, this is going to damage my baby. Oh my God, you know, and that's another thing to throw into the mix that you're then panicking about. So it's just, honestly, I can't, I can't, to say nothing helped me wouldn't wouldn't be true, but different things helped me all the time. You know, having Neil as an incredibly supportive partner helped, having incredible friends like you and Hannah at my side and listening 24 seven when I needed to say, Oh my God, I feel like this having the girls from the group who were going through the same sort of thing, having the, even the complete strangers on the pregnancy after loss groups, you know, all of those things helped, but you find yourself almost needing different things at different times because it's such a volatile time that mm. you really need to read each day and say to yourself, right what am I feeling today what do I need today what is going to help me and some days you can't even identify it but on the days that you can you just need to do what's right for you and it's got to be really hard because obviously pregnancy is a finite you know there's only so many months you can you know harvest a child so you've got a timeline haven't you yeah. So trying to take it day by day has got to be so hard knowing that you know that there is an end date and it's hard not to keep looking forward to that and then worrying about everything between now and then yeah. and keep reminding yourself, right, just take it a day at a time, an hour at a time. What do I need today? That I can't even imagine how that, how that felt, but 
let's fast forward just a little bit to the birth, to mm-hmm. Freddie's birth. And obviously with the PTSD and echoes of Poppy, what? how did you cope with the birth after what happened to Poppy? I think um, because what happened with Poppy, um, I had gone from... To give you a bit of background, I had gone from being completely terrified about natural birth during my pregnancy with Poppy to being told I couldn't have a C-section. So I almost needed to do a complete 180 and become at one with my body so that I could try and have a natural birth because I, at that time I thought that was my only option. Mm. Um, so I did so much work in terms of hypnobirthing relaxation Mm -hmm. techniques I did oodles and oodles of reading I mean I bought our book our our our, um house was like an Amazon warehouse for like about four weeks because I just kept getting Amazon deliveries about all these different books you know Mm. books that were written by midwives books were written by sort of earth mothers books that talked about you know this primal instinct that you had when you were giving birth that empowered you and made you feel strong and incredible and I was just like we got down to it and I was like damn this I am ready I am ready to give birth and the cruel irony is if I had just pushed and had a c-section Poppy would be here because um things didn't go to plan during the labor and I ended up having a c-section anyway but it was too late um the damage had already been done and so when we got our consultant and we went to London I explained to him in depth what had happened and I said I need this birth to be so different from what happened like I I need to be like not even resemble it at all and he was like look planned c-sections are nothing like emergency c-sections planned c-sections are the most relaxed environment you could imagine and I was like I don't believe that for a second but you know and this guy this consultant I cannot speak highly enough of him because he recognized the situation he understood what we had been through and he managed me and my expectations he knew that every step of the way when I asked him about risk levels that I wanted to know I didn't want him to dress it up and he knew why I wanted to know and he knew you know how to put it in a way that would not freak me out which was a great help um and I said to him probably about five six weeks before I gave birth I said I want to know a walkthrough right from the minute I walk in the door on the day that my c-section is booked I want to know what's going to happen And he walked me through it step by step, every single minute of what would happen. And he said, I will speak to the theatre team. They will know your situation. They will know what's happened. They will be sensitive to it. You know, there will be no panic. There will be, because the significant amount of trauma that I experienced during it and the PTSD element, came from towards the end of the birth and then before I went in for c-section and how I was treated and the way they handled me and a lot of the um, things that happened during that time have left really really deep scars which I still can't 
mm. speak about certain elements of it because it's it still feels really raw because I haven't dealt mm. with any of that because I'm like, oh, I don't need to. I mean, I do. I know I need to. But, you know, mm. for the sake of that, it was sort of like, right, deal with the grief. Don't deal with the trauma. Don't need to deal with the trauma. And then all mm. of a sudden I was like, well, holy crap, I've got to give birth again. So I do need to deal with it. Um, and so he talked me through everything. He'd shown me, um, like the birthing area where the, um, where the surgery was, what the rooms looked like, you know, every step of the way he talked me through it. And we ended up going into hospital. Um, I was 37 weeks and we were down in London because I'd insisted on going down at, I think 36 and a half weeks. No, 36 weeks, because I wanted to be there in case anything happened. Mm. I didn't want to be anywhere near this hospital. Um, and so we were down in London from 36 weeks. And we'd been in and had our checks the week before. And we'd had a chat and everything. And everything was great. And Freddie was bouncing around merrily in my tummy. And the morning um, of the 28th of May, um, I woke up. And I was like, he doesn't feel like he's moving as much as normal. And I could still feel him moving, but it wasn't like he just wasn't as active. And so Neil said, right, well, why don't we go for breakfast? So we walked down to King's Cross and we went to this really nice breakfast place. And because of the gestational diabetes, I was having to be really, really careful with what I ate. And I couldn't eat too much sugar because it was obviously bad. Um, But I knew that sugar set Freddie off. And so when Neil was in the toilet, I got my cappuccino, which I've been drinking, not with any sugar in. And I chucked in two sugar cubes <laughs> just whilst he's in the toilet, like whisked it in. And um, I ended up drinking this coffee and it was still sort of the same. And Neil was like, you know, how are you feeling? Are you, you know, and I was like, so I, just, I was like, I just, I don't know. Uh, he was like, does something feel wrong? And I said, I don't know. And that's, that's the fear. People, so many people tell you, you'll know if something's wrong. Honestly, that is bullshit because <laughs> you've got so much fear running through your mind. Mm. Like, okay, am I being paranoid or am I yeah. being logical? And actually there is something wrong. So Neil said, why don't you give the hospital a ring? So I phoned them and we were on the other side of town. So we're in King's Cross, the Champions League final in in but I think it was the Champions League final in somewhere like Paris and so there were a load of football fans going through King's Cross to get on the Eurostar um the other place in Pancras and I was like there were honestly I've never seen so many people in a small area it was like thousands of people and then there was a rugby league final on in Wembley so there were people everywhere and I was like Okay, let's not because we went down into the tube station and Neil was like, This is there were people oh, everywhere. God. And I was like, I was so cramped. And I was, and he said, Right, we're not doing this. Let's get up, let's get a cab. So we went up and we got in the queue for this, for the cabs. And it was, oh no, honestly, it was so long and it was taking forever. And the people, there were like a couple of people in front of us and they were like fanning about. And I was like, There's a, there's a cab there. There's a cab that like trying to, trying to keep, keep your cool. And uh, they were like, yeah, no, those other people need to get in it. And I said, okay, yeah, fine. But I need to get to the hospital. And they all went, oh, um, you go. You go. <laughs> it was the only time I'd ever played the pregnancy card. And thankfully, at that point, I'd needed it. So they pushed me to the front of the queue, got in the cab, went to the hospital. 
and they put me straight onto the machine with the straps and everything and got me got me monitored and uh, got me a glass of squash as well and typically anyone who's had a baby 99% of the time you go into hospital and before you're even getting the straps on your tummy the baby's like woohoo party so anyway I felt (laughs) him started to move a bit more and I was like oh it's gonna be nothing wrong now absolutely nothing wrong okay fine so anyway I'm on the I'm on the um, monitor and uh, they, she got my consultant on the phone and he said, well, he said, I'm just thinking, you know, for the sake of a couple of days, he said, should we just deliver today? And I think actually, in all honesty, it was the best way for it to happen mm. because I didn't have time to freak out. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's get across town, get the bags, get back mm. again with the car and let's do this. And that was at about half past two. We drove across mm. town. I cried all the way across town, driving down uh, London, you know, driving across London, sobbing. So I was like, oh, we could have a baby. Oh my God, I can't, you know. And I was almost just like, I didn't want to allow myself the realization that it might happen. Yeah. But, um, we got um, we got the hospital bags and everything. Neil dropped me off at the door and went and parked the car. And by the time he got back to the hospital, it must've been about 20 minutes. I was already dressed in my gown ready to go and they got me down to theater and I had an epidural spinal block and um moments later Freddie was born and I've still got the video of him being born and I still can't watch it because <laughs> it makes me cry but um everyone in that room knew what we'd been through and everyone in that room was just like oh my goodness he's amazing congratulations and I still remember the consultant saying could just see a little pair of hands ready to come out on me, his mum. And there he was. And I was just like, you can see the fear in my face on the video. Cause I'm like, is he okay? Is he okay? And he was screaming his heart out and everyone was like, yeah, I think he's fine. And I was like, yeah, but is he all right? And they had um, a neonatologist there and she just said, there's no reason for me to be here. He's perfect. And he's fine. And she said, congratulations. And off she went. And then they put him in my arms and I will never, ever, ever forget that. Because I was like, I've done it. I've, I've got it. Sorry. No, you set me off. And um, it took me back. It took me right back to holding Poppy and all those feelings. And he looked like her. And that first, that first evening in the hospital, I talked to him about her. And, you know, we were just sitting there in the dark and I didn't want to go to sleep because I didn't want to miss anything. And they came in and they said, oh, do you want us to take him for a bit, you know, so you can get to some sleep? I was like, no, absolutely not. I don't care if I never sleep again because I've got him here and I just want to keep him safe. And then, of course, that fear begins of, oh, my God, I've got a tiny person now. I'm never going to sleep again because I'm so terrified. (laughs) (laughs) But it was the most relief and it's you can see Neil took a photo of me before I went down to theatre and a photo of me in theatre holding him and you can just see my face has completely changed it's the relief and the way it's almost like every muscle in my body has just relaxed for the first time in nine months and um yeah it was absolutely incredible and I know that not everyone gets their happy ending because there are people that go through and experience so many losses and 
since being through what I've been through, I still struggle to read about other people's experiences when they've been through something like that. Because I think I was so incredibly lucky to A, get pregnant as quickly as I did. B, have a good pregnancy and a healthy child. Because that's three things that some people don't get. And I know every single day I count my blessings on how lucky I am. I think it goes, sorry. (laughs) I think it goes without saying that this is why you are so humble and so strong because you are looking at it that you are you are lucky with everything that you've been through with the PTSD with the PCOS with the struggles the constant obstacles with what happened to Poppy with the quite frankly horrific pregnancy that you had with Freddie and you're still saying you're lucky and you want to help other people I think Uh, You know, I I use the word inspiring a lot and I'm never flippant with it. But my God, girl, it's just, yeah, absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Um, I would love to have you do another episode about having Freddie now. um, And obviously with your feelings and grief with Poppy, because obviously Freddie is now nearly a year old. Um, oh my gosh, where has that time gone? And I know from my own experience with with you and us being, you know, besties kind of thing, I know that the, the things that you've been going through in the last year, which, you know, you don't just stop grieving for someone, you know? Life goes on, yes, but that grief is still a hole in your world. And I was going to ask you before, but obviously people can wrongfully assume that just having another child automatically replace that grief. Oh, you've got a child now. So, you know, surely that makes things easier. And that's not, that's not the case at all. So I would love to, for you to come back and talk to us a bit more about, you know, having Freddie a child after, after loss as well. Yeah. Yeah, If you'd be up for that. Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give to others in your situation? whichever part you'd like to, because you mentioned about the support structures and support systems in place during pregnancy. What advice would you give to others who are going through this, who have been through it? I think the biggest thing I can say is choose your tribe and choose it wisely. Um, I think surround yourself with people who don't just try and wrap you in cotton wool but people who listen and acknowledge your fears, people that understand your fears, people that understand your pain and your grief, you know, whether they be other lost mums or they be other parents, because actually a lot of people who are parents who I've spoken to can't fully relate, but because they have a child, that fear of loss is also quite relatable. So don't surround yourself with hundreds of people, but just find some people who will love and nurture you during that time and reach out when you need to and ask for help when you need to and talk as much as you need to, because you can never talk enough because bottling things up, believe me, like I, 
I was so worried during my pregnancy that Freddie was going to come out and be a little ball of anxiety or stress or, and the amount he cried when he first came out, honestly, he cried for like three hours. I was like, I've done this. That was me. (laughs) But he smiles every single day and he is not stressed at all. But he's this adorable little boy. (laughs) (laughs) He is very cute. I am biased. Um, But stress does impact you and it impacts the baby and you're at risk of all sorts of things like preeclampsia high blood pressure you know get a therapist get someone and i'm not talking about someone that costs hundreds of pounds per hour you can get a local therapist who you can talk to for maybe 40 or 50 pound and just release those stresses and panic because even you can have all the best friends in the world but actually someone that can take that stuff and actually guide you through it is actually invaluable as well so choose your tribe that's my that's my advice but i will put all the um the places for the pregnancy after loss support groups um on here as well on the blog piece so that people can see and access them if they need to today couldn't have been easy for you to talk about this so openly um and I know we've talked about this in grief, but it doesn't matter how much time goes, the pain is still there. Um, and I just want to say a massive thank you for sharing your vulnerability and showing it as a strength and just just being you, just being you. Ooh. What's your final sip, babes? Oh, God, I don't know. You just made me cry again. So oh, hell. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't I, Actually, do you know what? My final sip, because I've just given my advice. So I actually think it's going to be a two-parter, this final sip. Um, Anyone who is going through this or, you know, is trying to get pregnant or has experienced loss or whatever stage of the journey you are on, you are not alone. So many people who experience it think they are. And as much as you're experiencing your own grief and the loss of your own child, you're not on your own. And there are so many people out there who can help. Not long ago, we lost um, someone in the child loss community and she just could not go on anymore. She couldn't fight it. And that broke my heart because I was like, she's been fighting this for so long And she just couldn't do it anymore. And it's such a fragile line that you walk when you're grieving for a child that you have to reach out. You know, if it's to a stranger, if it's to a friend, a family member, if it's to a professional, please, please reach out. And if anyone's experiencing this who wants to talk to me, my door is always open because you're not on your own. And with the second part of that I just want to say thank you to every single person who was there for me after Poppy and during my pregnancy and who's been there every day since and you are one of those right top tier people you are an MVP when it comes to that because you have not faltered and you have stood by my side every step of the way and I could not be more grateful or lucky to have someone like that in my life so that's my final sip (laughs) Oh, May, not dry eye. <laughs> it's just the two of us who make other people cry. <laughs> oh, right. Maybe oh, always, always <sighs> there, babes. Always there. Um, 
please, please, please check out Perfect Poppy, Strong and Brave, all the resources and help that um, Katie has put together um, <laughs> just because she's a bloody good egg and she just wants to help people. And, you know, I just, I can't thank you enough again, but please check out all of Katie's um, resources and platforms. We will put them in to this episode um, bio and the social media. Um, if you have been affected by this episode, please do reach out, get in touch. We always want to read comments, hear your feedback, whether that's um, on our social media or privately via our um, email address, which you can find on our website. If you want to continue hearing from us, please do support us. We have a supporters page on our website where you can buy us a coffee. We can't do this without you. Yeah. So please do support us. Let us know if there's anything you want us to, to talk about, any guests you want us to, to feature. And yeah, we'll just keep it coming. But thank you everyone for listening to this episode. A huge thank you to our Katie for just being epic. Um. And yeah, I'm going to go full to you on is it's goodbye from me. That it's goodbye from her. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.